Hi, everybody. I highly recommend the One Dating Hurts podcast. I found the podcast after I left an abusive relationship, but it continuously helps me on my healing journey. The podcast always reminds me that these people are damaged, they're emotionally draining, and they're dangerous to be around. I appreciate everything Bill has done for people like me. It keeps me from ever even considering going back. Love should not hurt. You deserve respect more than anything in a relationship. Take your power back and live the life you want to live. You deserve it. The When Dating Hurts podcast continues to grow in popularity. The more who listen, the more who will know the realities of dating and domestic violence. In the meantime, the When Dating Hurts book in paperback, ebook, and audiobook is being purchased and read by concerned parents, teachers, victims, and survivors, and of course, those who are currently dating. Education leads to empowerment. That way, if a potential abuser is targeting you or someone you care about, you will know how to detect it and how to break free and stay safe. Up next, another survivor story to illustrate how an innocent person can become manipulated and trapped in abusive relationships. In part three, Annie has fallen for the man she calls the street pirate. She is at a place when even a man this flawed becomes someone she spends time with. Here is Annie on the third and final episode of her story. Charismatic is a strange term to use. But there was charisma to me. There was something that was working for me, almost, you know, designed to work for me. It was all by design, man. And I I knew, a part of me consciously knew that this wasn't good. It wasn't going to go anywhere. But once again, I was in this place of something is better than nothing. I will take something. Thank you very much. Yeah. And also, I would like to spend my time with somebody who would like to be with me, even if it is a performance. So we spend this night just going to bars. Very, a very trashy time. I don't want to beat myself up about it, but I still I think of it that way. So the night ends. I go home. I'm not even up the stairs before I get a phone call. There's something really special about you. I don't know what it is. There's something about you is so unique. You know, again, once again, the love bombing. I really want to take you out. You know, I'll blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, sure, Thursday. So then I quickly learned that take me out means going to dive bars where he gets free drinks. Gets free drinks pretty much at all of these places because he works it. This is a person who's a street person. They're raised in manipulation, and they're exceptionally gifted at it. The place just gives them drinks. Uh, Does that make sense? There are some people who can just get things. Okay. All right. Okay. Sometimes it's like, this guy, just get him out of our face. Just give him what he wants. Sometimes uh-huh. it's that. Sometimes there's like a weird sexual tension about it people like this 
honestly, the, a lot of this stuff is like same shit, different face. So I'm saying people like this because it's the first one of them I met, but I never want to meet another one. So yeah, go to dive bars. He gets free drinks and a lot of it is like, oh yeah, they that person wants to sleep with me. Like that person wants me, that person wants me. Now that's him saying that to you about other people? Yeah, yeah. So there's no taking me out. It's I go with him to these places. He plays pool aggressively. And one time like brings me to the West Village and parades me around to all these other street people who then tell me how amazing he is. That was the whole purpose, was to to show me to people who then were going to say, oh, I love him, he's so amazing. How was he as a pool player? He was a shark. He's really good. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. I'd never want to sit at another pool table again. He would get really weird about pool and say, like, I used to do this for money. Like, what does that even mean? No, you didn't. Anyway, we'll get we'll get to more. I learned that he had a terribly broken family and a terribly broken life and a broken brain. He told me he used to fight underground for money. People would watch him fight and bet. This would include police. I mean, police would actually go and do it too? They'd bet. They'd bet on him or his opponent. Yeah, again, these are things I thought only were in movies. Right, Fight Club. Totally wild, but, oh, why'd you stop doing it? Well, because I kept passing out. Oh, from the shots to the head? Yes. So do you know what that is? That's a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. This person has a head injury. That's just like all of this information is starting to come to me, but I'm never, never at any point thinking that anything is going to turn back around on me because I'm being told how special and amazing and all these things I am. Another time he casually mentions going to Rikers. You mean like doing time? Yes. Rikers is a humanitarian crisis. Mm. Like to be sent there is one thing, to spend any time there is another thing. I want to say listen to listen to stories about it, but actually don't. They're horrible. Somewhere in your mind, you're thinking that you're a spectator and you don't see the day comes when you're going to be a participant. That's exactly right. And there was a part of me that felt attracted to this idea that he was a protector. That if anyone would try to mess with me ever again, I would be protected. They'd step right in there, deal with it. Physically handle it. Yes, right, sure. I also learned during that time the reason why guys wear skull rings all the way across their hand is because brass knuckles are illegal. Right. Yeah, it's the next best thing. So, yeah, once again, I, I never thought, I never imagined that I would be anything but on the sidelines, able to, to just turn the switch off when I wanted to leave. Mm-hmm. It's so insidious. How do these people... They, they're so manipulative and effective at it that they convince you that they're doing things for you, but you're the one who's spending all the money. This person has no steady job. He didn't have his own place. He lived with an uncle who gave him money for everything. He had a PayPal card. He'd say, uncle, I need to get smokes. 
And his uncle would send him 20 bucks for him to get a pack of cigarettes on that card. Good uncle. We should all have an uncle just like that. Another part of it, too, is how they they start telling you all of their sad stories right away. Mm -hmm. I don't even want to get into all of it, but it was it was bad, 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 bad and more bad violence, danger. My dad died and they want you to sympathize. Yes. Yes. And a person like me, I'm going to do that. You're eating it up. You're thinking, oh, my God, this poor guy, I have to help him. Yeah. And do unto others. Right. Be forgiving. They happened because because of his torn up life. Yeah, oh, poor me, and sorry I was a prick to you, but, you know, it's just so hard for me. It covers a lot of, a lot of ills. Yeah. Three, he had three kids. He goes, all with the same woman. Like, it's a brag. But somehow he got out of paying child support, and I don't remember the excuse that he used for that one. Wow. But this is, again, somebody who doesn't have doesn't take any responsibility and doesn't have any money and just yeah. hustles. It's a, it's a hustle. Man, that's dark. So I have zero clue what I'm dealing with and my whole community is gone. I think it was about two weeks in to getting to know this person that I found out I was pregnant. Oh. And that was the person who did not love me. The one you were hoping a relationship would kick yep. in. How about yep. that? There's no question in my mind what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get an abortion. And thank God I lived in New York State at this time. Mm-hmm. This is not a, it's still a hot item. And the, all the laws were just starting to change at that time. Yes. I go to the clinic and, and Street Pirate goes with me. And the whole time he's making it hard for me to get there and making it like, you're not paying enough attention to me. And I, I know, I know what it is but I just feel really helpless. And when you have to be making a decision like that, it feels like shit. It feels really yes. lonely. Even if you are like, I'm dead sure that this is what is the right thing for me. There was a moment in time where he thought it was his. And it was a split second, but I got calls. He told people and They called me and said, you know what? He really doesn't want you to get an abortion, but you should. But I was like, okay, I don't need your advice. What's outstanding to me is that this person is calling around and spreading my business. That's very disrespectful and hugely invasive. I did whatever I did. I did what I had to do, and I have no no regrets about it. How long does this last with this fellow? September the 21st through December the 17th. I think we can we can fast forward now to the incident. Okay. There had been a lot of scary stuff leading up to the incident on December the 17th, the 16th. I made the police report on the 17th. I was making a plan within myself to get out of this, but I had seen and had now become afraid of this person. I'd seen that he was actually dangerous. So I didn't want to do anything too fast because I knew he could hurt me. <sighs> had he hurt you up to that point? No, but I, I saw him, I saw him oscillate between, between angry, uncontrollable, dark eyed rage and like several other kind of 
mental states. Mm-hmm. I saw it. This is, it's a live wire. Mm-hmm. It's a ticking time bomb. It's not safe. Okay. There was, you know, there was a time where you didn't, wouldn't let me leave my room. There was shouting at me, calling me a bitch, all of these things that mm-hmm. kind of out of nowhere, that stuff. But he hadn't put hands on me. So December the 16th is when I went out for a friend's birthday. We were at dinner. We all stayed out all night, all played music together, just had a a good night of friends. And the whole time I'm getting blown up on my phone. And there's a whole story. There's, I got in a bike accident. Now I'm in the hospital. And then the uncle is texting me, but it sounds like the same exact person from a different phone number. You don't care about me. If you cared about me, you would come save me or, you know, that's the, that's the gist. And it doesn't end. The next day, I just, I kind of soften and I'm like, okay, well, you know, I guess I'll, I'll meet up with you and maybe like this year he's in a state. And I thought that by meeting up, I could deescalate whatever that was. So I was kind of, my strategy was like for safety. So I later on meet him at that same stupid dive bar. And he's, he's a maniac already. He's got the look in his eye. He's got some, some like person there, some random person who is just totally disengaged. Just like another, I don't know, another bar fly person it's like a weird, weird thing. Like he had this witness or like just somebody that was his. And he starts saying like, I know you, I know you cheated on me. There it is there. You know, you cheated on me. You're doing, I know you, you're lying. Everything you say is lies. Like just going into it. The thing we've all heard. Yes. I start to notice people at the bar are looking and they are looking like, does she need help? And this is before I learned about angel shots. I don't know if they, if people know about that. Um, they might have different names in other places, but if you are in that situation at a at a bar, you can order an angel shot, and the way that you order it can mean different things. It would, you know, you order it like neat, and that means you are in trouble and you need a Uber or something. You know, it can mean I'd like somebody to call the police. But it's a way to indicate and code that you're not safe and you need help. Good. That's very good to know. Yes. Sometimes in the women's bathroom, that'll be printed out on uh, and put on the back of the, the stall door. I didn't know about that until later. So many people have real clarity later on. Yes. There were people coming to ask, is everything okay? And I was just, I was in shock. I was scared. So I just finished my drink and I said, I'm going to go home now. And I walked out the door. He follows me. Mm. And I said, I'm going home. This is over. This is over. It's done. We're done. And then he gets really aggressive. He follows me and starts saying like, I'll show you who the fuck I am. You think like, he was implying that he was going to call people and they were going to hurt me. Oh, oh. He was making it very clear that there was a threat. 
He was threatening me actively. Yes. So I get across the street to the door of my building and I go to open it and he stands in the door. He won't let me enter the apartment. So I get out my phone and I'm going to call the police. He hits the phone out of my hand with such force that I immediately in that moment knew he could kill me. If he just has to decide. He just has to decide in his mind if that's what he wants to do. And that's what will happen. I have no chance. Like the force of that was all, you just know it. And you can see it in their eyes. I, I never understood. Like I would hear it. Their eyes turned dark. I've had several people here say that. It's like all you see is the pupils. It's the person that you thought you were dealing with is not there. Exactly. You're right. It is terrifying. So breaks my phone. I go to pick it up. He grabs it, throws it across the street. In fact, it's still it's still all busted on the back. I haven't even gotten a new phone. But that was what enabled me to have a charge against him. So he throws the phone and continues threatening me, shouting at the top of his lungs. The thing I love about New Yorkers is that we look after each other. So there were people there who were going to help. He luckily, fortunately, just went raging away after who knows? Who knows even what's going on in, a, in their mind? But I'm in shock. I pick up my phone, there are, and there are two people on the street who ask if I need help. And I'm shaking, and I don't know what's going on. And there's a girl who sits with me and says, you don't even have to, you don't even have to say anything. I saw the whole thing. Just let me know. What do you need? Mm-hmm. You got a witness. Yeah. So I, I said, when I finally could, I said, um, if, if you wouldn't mind, would you please walk upstairs with me while I get some things and, and call a friend to go stay with them? And would you please stay with me when I, while I get a car to take me? And mm-hmm. she did. That's very good. And then the next day I made my police report. And so that's, that's, uh, the charge for that was criminal mischief. If there hadn't been any damaged property, there wouldn't have been a charge. It's not a crime to threaten a woman. It's not a crime to be an asshole, to be scary. But how about to hit somebody's hand like that? Not a crime. Okay, strange. Not assault, huh? No. It's messed up. It's really messed up. So I guess what then, they go find him? Yeah, they had to track him down. And I gave as much information as I could. I had been documenting everything. Yeah, I just was documenting everything. Because I knew, as soon as I knew I'm going to get out of this, I started keeping a folder. And so I had everything to present to NYPD. It was my privilege to have their help. To be, I don't know, Mm -hmm. able to have their help. Not everybody is. I mentioned in my email to you that when a detective followed up with me, they brought along a packet of papers, like stapled together. Mm. And that was the file. So they said, 
is this him? There's a picture of him on the front. I said, yes, it is. Oh, my. Were you aware? He uh, said, I can't disclose to you all of the things in this file, but were you aware that there have, there have been several assaults, something with a minor, and there was a rape? And I said, no, I was not. I was not aware of any of that. The times that this, the pirate had mentioned any of this stuff, it was never his fault. It was always a misunderstanding, and he was a victim. Mm-hmm. So I go forward with the charges, mainly because I wanted it committed to the record. That's it. I knew I wasn't going to get anything else out of it, and I didn't really need, I just needed to get away. Because mm-hmm. my neighborhood was no longer safe. He'd been uh, banned from all of the places that that he would frequent around there. So I got tons of harassing texts about that from him, which I just added to the file. Does he go and do time for this? I spoke to the assistant to the DA, and yes. they said that... They did bring him in, they charged him, but instead of doing time, he would be doing one of those stupid programs, those stupid rehabilitation, and I'm calling them stupid because it's like, okay, I get it, it's an attempt, it's it's something. Put him in the anger management class. Have something, some metric, some imagined metric to to who knows to give results we always need results proof whatever but these people are always gonna they're gonna trick the system they're gonna manipulate it it's not gonna work i told them i told the guy that i said sure if that's what needs to happen go for it but just in my opinion for a person like this it's not gonna work he's has is deeply damaged physically his experience severe head trauma. You don't grow back those parts of your brain. At a certain point, people this dangerous are, they become society's problem and responsibility. So I felt strongly in that moment that it was my responsibility just to get the things on the record. So is that it for him? Yeah, but it's it was like a three-month period of time spent getting to know the scary person and then months after that of aftermath harassment follow-ups uh and eventually i i left because i was my safe place and my safe neighborhood was no longer safe all different yes yeah so i i had to move out of new york on my own this happened yeah september 21st to december 16th that was 2021 um, 2022, that's when I made it back to Wisconsin and I just landed back with my family in Green Bay, my mom and dad. So remember Eric? Oh yeah. Number three who came back. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's number three. That's the last thing I want to talk about. Okay. Being back in Green Bay was an opportunity for this person to come back into my life. And it had been so long and I'd been through so much that it was really easy to write off that 2017 experience as just, oh, well, we lived in different cities. It was a distance thing. This is the Eric you went to Portland with? 
Yeah. Wow. So I'm back April. Then that June, June is when I ran into him again. And it seemed I had blocked him on everything. So then I had this idea that when I saw him again, he was going to like come at me and, and tear me down or something. And that's significant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then he didn't. So then I was like, Oh, maybe things are better now. Always wanting to believe the best of people. Always having a, I've always had like a natural optimism, which is really difficult. Yeah. It's hard to pay that off. Yeah. So I open the door this time and I say, I got a different phone number because of the street pirate situation. I just got a, I'd had the same phone number my entire life. I just thought if, if changing my phone number is going to be the thing that severs ties completely, I'm doing it. So I said, hey, you know, it was nice seeing you the other day. Um, I got a new phone number. Just saying hi. He says, cool, uh, you want to go for a drink or something and catch up? I said, sure. We did that. And then he presented to me the exact kind of person I wanted to see. And it was fun. It was actually fun. So we reconnect. Then I spend a month in L.A. During this time, I had a friend who was subletting his place, and, and I had some work in L.A. too. So I was like, oh, it'll be nice to just have my own space again. So I'll do it. And I love to go travel and go on adventures and stuff. So it was great. We talked every single day, and he sent me these elaborate flowers, the prettiest flower arrangement I've ever seen. We had this conversation one day where he's like, so what do you, what, what's going to happen? Like, are you just going to go back to New York? And I said, I don't know. I really don't know what's happening now. And he said, well, I need to know because I can't go through that again. Mm. I wish I had heard that the way that it comes across now. Because I think you couldn't go through what again? Me living my life on my terms? Like, mm -hmm. I didn't hear it that way at the time. And I thought wow, if I make this gesture, like this is going to be a huge thing and he'll understand that I'm serious. And, and once again, I thought, wow, this is, this must be important for this person to come back into my life again. It's like this, I don't know, romanticized thinking. Sure. It's meant to be. Yeah. It felt like that. But also I knew that if it wasn't, I still wanted to see where it went because I would not, I wouldn't forgive myself. Like I wouldn't be happy with myself if I didn't know. Mm -hmm. I decided not to move back to New York. I'll figure out how to get my stuff from storage back to Wisconsin. And I'm going to, we're going to try to do a relationship. So when I get back from, from LA, not long after that, his roommate where he lived for seven years says, dude, I want you to move out. So now we both don't really have a place to live. And hey, well, what if we get a place together? That comes up really, really fast. And we just both decide, okay, yeah, well, let's go for it. Like, you know, if it doesn't work out, like it doesn't work out. We'll be able to do that. I'm under the impression that he's going to be helpful to me moving my stuff. I've been very expressive about 
what moving by yourself out of New York City entails. Mm-hmm. It was awful. It was terrible. And I, I just, I didn't want to do it again. And I thought, surely you understand and you can empathize and you will help because you're going to be my partner. And he did not help. Yeah, it was, it just started to be this thing where like nothing was ever going to be right for him unless he was in control of it. And then when it came time for him to move, then it was, what was it? What do they say? Rules for me, but not for me. That sounds good. I needed to help him. He needed so much help. And I said, I have some work to do. Here's a day when I can come help you, but I'm also not feeling well. So like, I think I'll be okay by this day. And I say, if I can move out of New York City all by myself, I think you're going to be okay packing for two nights. (laughs) He did not like hearing that. His story became, you didn't come help me when I needed help. And then when you did come, you moved like three boxes. You didn't barely do anything. In reality, was I set a boundary and then I showed up when I said I was going to show up moved as much as I could, which was a lot. And I got sick during it. Uh, What was happening to me during that time I hadn't experienced before, I was throwing up without feeling sick. Oh. Which is my body saying, you can't do this again. We, body, mind, we cannot do this again. Are you saying the body is saying we can't have a relationship at all? It was warning me that this is not a safe situation again. This relationship is, it's not give and take. It's not fair. It's just not right. You know, you don't want this, basically. Yeah, it's, this isn't safe. So yeah, that story was, you know, I didn't, I didn't do enough and it wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And all my friends say it's so weird and shitty of you not to help me. It's like, first of all, what friends? None of them know me anyway. Also, who are they to say? <laughs> Gee. So much of this, I'm laughing it off. I just, I'd been through so much and I was so exhausted and I just wanted something to work. So we, we sign a lease. So even with all this, you sign a lease with him? Yeah. Okay. My mind went into overdrive of make a home. This year I turned 39. So it's important for me to have a home. I want to make it nice. I want to make a space that feels like a hug. Some people call it nesting. I think that's a weird word. I don't think of my house as a nest, but that's what, you know, the term would be. And that's all I want. And he says, oh, you're so good at you're so talented at art and you really know how to decorate things and you can just go nuts with it. I really want you to make this space like how you want it. So I start doing that, but none of it's good enough. None of it's good enough. None of it. I didn't include him enough. I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. I'm bringing my stuff from New York, but also some of it's still in storage. So why is it still in storage? That's not good enough. I want to set up a spare room where there were two bedrooms. I want to make one of the bedrooms a, I want to put a bed in there and be able to have people be able to come and stay there. But that's me, that's me taking over. So I've put, I put the bed, I put my desk in there. 
that's me taking over the bedroom without considering him, even though he's got the entire basement. He's got his two cars, and one of them is going to be permanently in the garage because it's a collector car and also has flat tires. I can't go anywhere. So I can't use the garage. The basement isn't mine. Like Everything else is like very much, I don't know, it's his rules. Despite what he's saying. So there's this cognitive dissonance again. And then I just, I start, everything changes. The person that I, that was sold to me was not that person. He wasn't there anymore. We used to joke a lot. We laughed a lot. I love comedy. I love making people laugh. That's the way that I've gotten through my life as a, you know, (laughs) with the mental health struggles I've had. If I can't laugh about it, then like, what are you going to do? And then his jokes just started to get really dark. And I realized all of them were punching down. I didn't like that. Things just, they started to become really disrespectful really, really quickly. One time in the morning, he got a phone call from work. And I forget, like, he'd wake up and sometimes have just a bone to pick right away. And that might have been what was happening. And then he gets this call and he smacks my leg and it didn't feel good to my body. It was not nice. It was not like, oh, just wait. It was my body read that. It was like that was What do you think he thought he was going to accomplish by doing that? Well, the next thing he said on the phone call to his work was, the old lady's riding me or something like that. Like, immediately disrespecting and minimizing. I was shocked by the the physicality of it. And I kind of sat up and was like, what the hell was that? So then it was dismiss that, brush it off, have this phone call. Talk about me like I'm just some, like I'm just the old lady nagging or whatever. Afterwards, I approached him and I said, hey, that was really disrespectful. I don't like you touching me like that and I don't like what you said about me. And he said, fuck you. Uh You should respect me. Uh My God. There really is a a laundry list of like, so this is where I learn about, about narcissism. Because at a certain point, I saw I'd saw him perform different personalities or different ways of being around different people. He would claim that he had autism spectrum disorder, and his proof was going online and taking one of those like screener tests that basically is designed just to get you in the door to a professional if you have if you have questions. They're not proof. So he sends me these like online results and he's like, well, here explains everything. Here's why and it's also, I am the way I am. Mm-hmm, and it's also, now you have to excuse my behavior because I don't know how to be like you. I don't know how to be like a mm. regular person. And you have to, basically it's, it's uh, setting you up to accept unacceptable behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's his get out of jail free card. Exactly. Or anything that's clumsy. <sighs> exactly. Remember, it, it had been like, hey, if it doesn't work out, you know, it's just a piece of paper. We'll we'll get through it. Right. Sure. He made it. I'm sure that changed. But go ahead. He made it as hard as possible for me to leave and uh, to to uh, take as much from me as possible. Like like what? So, take what? 
money. Oh, now we're going to go down the financial highway. Okay. So I had my own line of communication with the landlords and um, I read the lease. I was trying to, I was in contact with like free attorneys online. I just was like, you know, I just, what papers do I need? Like what, how do I cover my bases? So this is just like official and Mm -hmm. I can get out of here. Mm -hmm. When it came back to him, no, this isn't going to work. You can't get out of the lease because I didn't agree to it. I left on January 24th or something. So I, February was supposed to be, I'm out. But no, I didn't agree to it. And it, you needed to do it in 30 days. I don't know where that came from because mm-hmm. it wasn't in the lease. Mm-hmm. The lease said if there is an agreement between tenant and landlord, the lease can be done. Yes. It didn't say 30 days in the lease. Okay, so another 30, yeah. So I had to pay for a month that I wasn't there and forfeit my security deposit. Oh, that's a beating. Yeah. March 1st this past year was when I was like officially free from that. But yeah, during the move, I said, please don't touch any of my things. I'm solely working on this. Just please don't touch my things when I'm not here. Didn't pay any attention to that. Moved him, packed him himself, did whatever he wanted with him. One time he put them in front of the door. I'd worked really hard on refinishing a dresser because I I get into projects. Mm -hmm. Like I just get into doing them, especially for home. I wanted to make stuff for the new home. So I worked really hard on this dresser and he shoved it right in front of the door so that when I opened it, I would open the door into the piece of furniture. There was a lot of pettiness that he went out of his way to perform. So he's going to make it as miserable as possible on the way out. Passive aggressive. Yes, yes. He bought a third car so that there would be three cars in the driveway when I needed to have a moving van there. Oh, the guy's not missing a trick. Honestly, every single thing, like little crappy little thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he turned out to be an unkind, neglectful, cheap, and just like miserable, miserable person. Very, very cruel. So I, I came out of that just once again, just totally empty, hollowed out, which is why I read all these books about narcissism and began listening to podcasts again like yours, like this one. Anyway, so that ends. It's terrible. There's a lot of humiliation of myself in front of my family. You know, the thing happens where they, they take control of the narrative and somehow like work everyone around you. I could see when, like the landlords, for example, I could see when they went from like understanding my side to completely believing his side. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, I felt it. I saw it and felt it. That stuff's really hurtful and it stays with you for a while. Sure it does. So yeah, I mean, this is getting really current. Last year, March, I was free. Middle of August is when I moved here to Milwaukee from Green Bay and I just needed I needed all of it like here I am in my own space I have my own apartment for the first time without another person I never lived alone 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 like I had a lot of responsibility at the apartment in New York but this is totally different being here and having 
agency and all of this freedom has allowed a lot of insight. Like it's just made it possible for me to relax and open up and and see things a lot more clearly. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned earlier about realizing that I was still carrying around self-blame for a mental health challenge. The last thing I'll say is when I moved here, I have a friend, another musician friend who lives here. I'd met up with her. She's a probably like a decade older than me. Mm-hmm. And she shared about recently changing medication and getting uh, treated for bipolar. Yes. And I thought, oh my God, I didn't, I don't see you like that. And I realized I still, I had this idea in my head that bipolar means, means scary. Mm-hmm. It means scary and destructive. But after speaking to her, I'm glad that idea got broken down. She talked about how it is in terms of creativity and productivity. And I said, oh my God, I identify with all the things you're saying. I was like, you mean it's not, it's not uh, normal to work on, work on a project so hard until it's all the way done without sleeping and then sleep for a week or a month? You mean that's not what like artists do? You know, that's not just like being creative? But that was a huge eye-opening thing. So I actually reached out to another doctor and essentially got prescribed the same thing because it made sense for me too. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those big feelings and those big destabilizing moments, they happen both in, in creative life and with relationships. Like those kind of chemicals and those feelings were just about one and the same. And sometimes they did take over my entire life and make it really hard for me to function and make sense of anything and be, be a person in the world. Mm-hmm. And now I can say that the edge is taken off of that. And what the medication has done is brought those swings to a, a balanced place. Yeah. You're more, more centered about it all. Yeah. And it's, God, I don't think everything happens for a reason. I think things happen and you get one life, you get a shot and what you do with it, you decide what it means. You make the meaning. And I know that I hate that, that I learned the things that I've learned. Mm. I hate that I've seen some of the things I've seen, but all the healing I've been able to do, like, just to get to this point is I'm profoundly grateful. I can't separate the two things. You know what I'm saying? Like the pain and the the challenges and, and the abusive situations. I can't separate those from the healing, the parts of myself that I've recovered and gotten back. That's what I'm trying to say. And this has just been an amazing thing to listen to you. And I like what you were just saying about things happen and, there's no doubt things happen. We're presented with things. We're presented with problems, but we write the story. We, we put the spin on it because something can happen. You say, okay, that thing got smashed up or something happened or, you know, whatever it is, you know, that's, there's a jolt. We can read into it or we can say it happened. We'll fix it. And we're going to go on. And it's not necessarily about me, but you know, you were presented with, many, many problems thrown your way, circumstances with with your parents and your father's job, basically, with the Air Force moving around. And some people can be presented with that and they move into a new city and a new school and 
somehow they make friends, somehow they get along and everything's just great. I had a friend in high school. He was an army, army brat, I guess they call that. Yeah. So he could be in Japan, literally, and then Maryland. He was the kind of guy that would just kind of collect all those experiences and you know, he'd go out for the baseball team and he'd make the all-star team. So for him to live in later on in New Jersey or now Arizona or someplace, it's like, okay, you know, I'm good. I'm good. Mm-hmm. Based upon how your brain functions, how you accept things, how you were raised, you were saying, you know, your mother, whether she wanted to be helpful to you or not, she wasn't that helpful. You know, she was kind of like open the car up, you get out and she'll drive away and you deal with it. Yeah, You're either going to be beat up by life or not. But, you know, we write the story. And I think the thing is that we are presented with challenges and you certainly had your fair share. And what I like about your story is that you're always finding some way to deal with it and in many cases heal from it. And I think that you're in a much better spot right now for whatever's coming up. And you've got such now a a backlog of coping skills and experiences which you've shared throughout this conversation and uh, just uh, I see better days for you you know I think that that if you are in another relationship and then has any hints of the red flags that you've talked about and these other ones you're going to get out immediately because you know you you can't stick around you know you can't see where it goes you can't sign the lease you can't sign up oh yeah so I can see it I, I can kind of see it in the people now it, having the reset, being in a new place where I don't know anyone, yes. I can see how people respond to me. Before, I don't know, I was too enmeshed in whatever situation, but now it's all fresh and all new and all really positive. Good. Yeah, I'm glad about that. There was one of your interviews with somebody who was like a, a coach, like a dating coach, and yes. he said something about raising your energy vibration, Mm -hmm. something like that, Mm -hmm. healing yourself. I really identified with what he was saying. The part about like, not necessarily, you're not going to attract the same thing when you raise that vibration. Like there's definitely truth to that. What happens too, is the people who are out there who are lying in wait, the predators of the world, if they see you are a kind of wounded person, they're all over you because you're going to be easy. And you're, you yeah. personally, you're not going to be easy anymore. So that's, that's a breakthrough thing. That's wonderful. I mean, you're really setting yourself up for success. And you've got your music. You and I spoke before we actually did this interview about your music and your ability to have ideas and write them and present them and get them out there. Looking forward to catching up on that with you now that I know you a little bit. Yeah, I feel good things are coming up there too. There's a lot of talented awesome people here and they're very approachable i'm finding good it's really nice yeah you're living in a, in a good time in your life that's great annie look thank you very much i hope we can stay in touch i'd like to see how your music goes and your life goes so make sure you stay in touch with me what can i say you know you've put a lot of energy and you put a lot of notes together so we'd have a nice conversation you'd be able to steer us through all the amazing litany of things that you've experienced but bottom line is thank you so much and and you really are helpful uh, to other people thousands of people will hear this the moment we hit uh, the publish button thank you thank you so much for letting me share and for creating this platform you're very welcome it's the least i could do
This concludes Annie's story. She now appears to be in a good state of life, and she is much better prepared to decide who she has in her life. We salute Annie and all survivors who join us on the When Dating Hurts podcast. Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com.